And uh, today, uh, it's a very special Sunday because we uh, have a guest speaker with us. Uh, I believe it's his first time worshiping with us, and so I'd like to introduce him to us. Uh, he is Reverend Dr. Bernard Wong. Uh, we've been listening to the announcement uh, for many weeks now, and so finally we're able to meet him in person. And he is the uh, current president of China Graduate School of Theology, which is just close by here, actually, in Kowloon Tong. I don't know if it, 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 has anyone ever visited the campus there. It's quite nice. I've, I've been there the first time uh, a month, two months ago, and it's a very nice place uh, in the middle of Kowloon Tong. And so it's our honor uh, to be able to uh, uh, welcome uh, Reverend Dr. Bernard Wong uh, to share his, uh, the Word of God with us. And then this afternoon, uh, we will also have him share a workshop with us, uh, lead a workshop for us. And uh, I'm sure he'll talk more about that uh, when he's up here as well. So let us welcome Bernard Wong. Good morning, brothers and sisters, and thank you, Joshua, for the introduction and uh, for inviting me to come worship with you all. Actually, this is the first time I preach in English in Hong Kong. <laughs> so not the first time in English, but I'm really excited to be coming here and uh, share with you God's Word. And perhaps uh, before we go to God's Word, let's pray together again, right? Thank you, Heavenly Father, for you've spoken to us. Uh, it is through your word that we receive life and we know how to lead a pleasing life before you. So we pray that you are with us and you open our hearts, open our ears so that we not only understand you, but we also follow your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, uh, let's see. Yep, over there. So today I'm going to like, share with you 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you know the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul talks about marriage or staying single and things like that. So this is his ethical teaching. We know that all books that Paul writes, Paul wrote, uh, he has like ethical teaching towards the end of, the, uh, of, of those books. And, but uh, how, how, how does he come up with all those moral teachings? Actually, when we look at, when you study his Paul's word, Paul's books, we know that his teaching is not just his personal taste or simply the best practices of, of that time. It actually comes out from his personal experience with Christ our Lord. So same here in this passage about marriage or single, you know, how does that come out from his experience with our Lord? We will look at it. But Paul now uh, in verse 1 he is actually responding to the Corinthian Christian, Christian's questions. Right. Let, let us read together, right? Verse 1. Now for the matters you wrote about. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Well, actually, you know, the Corinthian church, they are asking Paul, is it really good for a man not to have sexual relations? Is it good for a man to stay celibate? Um, so uh, it is, you know, to, to say that. So why, why do they ask this question? Actually, we understand from the other parts of Corinthian, the situation in the Corinthian church is that Paul actually praises them that they have spiritual gifts. They are kind of like a 
they have lots of gifts, they are wealthy, so the Corinthian church are like that. So in um, chapter 1, you know, Paul praises him that for in God you have been enriched in every way with all the kinds of speech and with all the knowledges. But at the same time, you know, knowledge gives them, you know, well, actually, knowledge makes them arrogant a little bit. So Paul continues to say in chapter 4 that some of you have become arrogant. And the result of being arrogant is that they are, they think that they can make up their own decisions on, on a lot of things. So there are like factions in the church and people become arrogant. And so when we go back to Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1, what lies underneath that question is that they think that they are so gifted. They assume that they can be free from the desire of the flesh. Actually, it might have been, they have, might, might have been influenced by stoic thoughts at the time, thinking that when somebody becomes spiritual, they can be away from, they can be free from all the bodily desires. Right, so this is why they ask Paul this question. I think that we are so spiritual, we can be away from sexual relations, we can be free from our bodily desires. So this is why they ask the question. So let's see how Paul answers them. You know, let's read verse 2 together. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. Actually, Paul reminds them that, well, wait a minute, you, you guys are still weak in flesh. This is consistent with his other teachings. Because for Paul, he says that actually we cannot be free from anything unless we are in Christ. You remember that we remember in First Romans, Paul says that, well, nobody can save themselves. We are all weak, either Jews or Gentiles. We are all weak. So Paul reminds them that, well, wait a minute. Don't think that you are already so free from your bodily desire. We have to be careful because since sexual immorality is still occurring among you. So I would encourage you not to jump into that conclusion too quickly. right? But when we look further ahead in verse 8, let's read verse 8 together. Now to the unmarried and the widows I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. So we see what Paul is doing here. Actually, Paul is saying that in Christ, you can stay unmarried. You can stay celebrate. Christ gives you the strength to do that. But be careful. It is not up to you to do that. You know, so this is Paul's teaching. And when we come to this one, it is actually kind of a surprise for the Corinthian church, especially for Christianity, which grew out of the Jewish tradition. See, when we, when we are familiar with the Old Testament, this kind of teaching never happened in the Old Testament, right? In the Old Testament, all families, all men and women, they had more or less had to get married, right? Because in the Old Testament time, uh, it was imperative for people to get married. Why was that? There are several reasons. First reason is that for the Israelites, for the Jews, they inherited land from the Lord, right? And we understand that those land, uh, the, the land from Lord, is, they are very precious. And it is the responsibility for the family to pass on the land from one generation to the other. 
And if you don't have children, if you don't have son, how can you do that? So that's the first reason. The first reason, uh, the second reason is that you know, uh, it's important for the Jewish people to carry on with their family names, right? So if they don't have son, they don't have children, they cannot inherit, and their hope for eternity, their hope in the future actually lies with their children. So if they don't have children, they have no future. Period. So that's another reason. And the first reason is that for uh, in in the Old Testament in Genesis, God told the Israelites to what? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the land. If they don't have children, they cannot do that. And lastly, why do they need children? It's because for the Jews, they were hoping, hoping for the Messiah, right? And so in the Old Testament, it says that, well, there will be a son born among you, and he will be your savior. And so if you stop having children, how can you have salvation? So there are very strong reasons why in the Old Testament, in the Jewish tradition, you know, people had to get married and have to have children, right? But why did Paul say such things, saying that it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do? It is all because he encountered Christ. And the encounter with Christ changed his whole perspective on marriage and family. We mentioned several reasons why uh, in the Old Testament, you know, people had to have children. First of all, it was the land inheritance. But the New Testament, we say that, which, what, is our, what is the inheritance that Christians have? It's not the land, but it's really the spiritual inheritance that we have from the Holy Spirit. And be fruitful and multiply. Do we see the same thing in the, Old Test in the New Testament? No. What does it become? It becomes go forth and preach the gospel so as people can have spiritual birth. It is more important for us to multiply in spirit, to preach the gospel to the ends of the world so the church can grow. It's not really that we have to have our own biological children. And also, our hope for the Messiah, it has been fulfilled. It has been fulfilled already. The son has been born. And there was a theologian in the early church, Augustine, he said that since the son has been born, Christ has been born, we don't need any more children. That's his saying, not my saying. But people are saying that, wow, then we will become extinct. And Augustine say that, said that, well, it doesn't really matter if the heaven is already fully occupied with so many Christians. So, you see, it is so different after Christ came. And that's why Paul told us, Paul teaches us that, well, it is good for people to stay unmarried. It is okay for us to do that. So this is Christ. Christ came and he announced a new era, not just in personal individual salvation, but Christ came to announce a new era, even in marriage or family. So in the Old Testament, we see a lot of family, a lot of husband and wives, they were desiring their own children. We have the experience from Abraham, um, all the way to Samuel's mother, Hannah, 
you know, who was the last one uh, in the Bible that desires son? You, you know what, what that, who, who that is? Elizabeth and Zechariah. And their son was John the Baptist. And John the Baptist actually represents the last of the Old Testament prophets, right? And who was the... And for Jesus, Mary and Joseph, she got pregnant before she was ready, right? So Jesus was actually a gift from God in inaugurating a new era. And after Jesus, there was nobody in the whole New Testament desiring children anymore, right? So Jesus actually inaugurated a new era. What does it mean? It, mean that, it means that Jesus is actually our Savior, not just saving us from sin, but Jesus also saves us from the imperative to get married and have children. You know, the world a lot of times preaches us a gospel of offspring and good marriage. A lot of times in many cultures, People feel that people think that, oh, you must get married. You must have good children. It's the best to have what? One boy and one girl. For Chinese, you see that. <laughs> one boy and one girl makes up the good, right? I have a daughter and a son, so I am good, right? <laughs> but Jesus had none. Right. So the salvation is not just individual. Christ gives us salvation away from the imperatives of the world. Right? Being Christians, we know that we can be free from desires of this world, including wealth, fame, children, and, 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 and even getting married. Right? Who is our Savior? Christ. Not any earthly things. Not even our marriage. And if you think that getting married gives you salvation, you're wrong. For young adults, they may think that they are saved by like meeting a per the perfect person and getting married and live ever happily ever after, right? Ask anyone who has married. <laughs> no, marriage or children, they do not give you salvation. Who does? Christ. A lot of times we mistakenly think that our marriage, our family give us salvation. But we understand that without Christ, our marriages, our families would fall into disaster, can become disaster. It doesn't mean that it's not good to get married, right? I have to add that, be careful. Because marriage and family is still good gifts from God. Everything good can turn bad in our hands, right? <laughs> we cannot rely on the things that we pay so much effort into building ourselves. The only salvation we have is Christ. Even our marriage, our family, we can enjoy marriage and family life because we are in Christ. And because God gives us, and Christ gives us, the wisdom, the love, the, our character to lead good family and marriage life. So I think because, you know, 
Paul encountered Christ and he understand that salvation is from Christ. He said that, well, we can be free. You, you, you can stay unmarried. It can even be good to be unmarried. We'll look at it later on why Paul says that. But let's turn to some other verses here. So when Paul says that, well, it is good for a married to stay a married as I do, does it mean that for in Christianity, after Christ came, marriage and family is abolished? We don't need to get married. But we know that the answer is no. Why is it like that? So let's read these verses, right, from verse 8 to 11 here. Let's read together. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. So when we read these four verses, we notice that two verses are addressed to the unmarried and the singles, right? But from verse 10, Paul turns to the married and those who have family. So we say that his teachings are so inclusive, right? <laughs> we just mentioned that in Christ, we are free from the imperative of getting married. But at the same time, we are also free from the imperative of remaining single, right? We have freedom in Christ. So the matter of getting married or having children is really an option open to all Christians. We have the freedom to pick them. And so when we look at these four verses, I would say that um, it is good to get married. And it is also good to stay single. But we have to beware that whatever option we take, there are blessings, but there are also difficulties. Say, for example, for the unmarried, from verse 8 and 9, well, Paul says that it is good for them to stay unmarried. Why? Because later on in verse 32, I'm, not going, to I'm going to read it for you. Why is it good to stay unmarried? Paul says that I would like you to be free from concern. And a married man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how, can be, how he can please the Lord. But a, a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can, how he can please his wife. Married man. Do you agree? Yes. Well, um, and his interests are divided. And a married woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But the married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I guess everybody who has married has this experience. 
before, before I got married, I myself decided how to spend my money and how to spend my holidays. After I get married, you know, I, I always have to check with my wife for any major investment that I make. <laughs> I think it's the same for everybody. Is it bad? Of course not, because we have bigger responsibility. We have a family to look after. But you see, you know, Paul says that, be real. Of course it is, it is a blessing to get married, but there are like duties you have to fulfill. And there are things you know you have to give up to get married. So back to verse 9, it is good for them to stay unmarried. Of course, this good is not just give you freedom so you can spend all the money and go on vacation every month. No. Paul says that you, you have to use your freedom to do what? To serve the Lord, like him, like himself. But there are also difficulties if a person remains single in verse 9. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Of course, Paul is painting a, a picture of like, Perhaps he's talking about sexual desire or something like that. But in general, for single people, they tend to be more, it, it tends to be a little bit more difficult to them to, well, I, I should say, it, perhaps it is, it is more likely that single people are lonely in life. They don't get support so readily from family. Perhaps that's the, that's the reason. It doesn't mean that they cannot get support from friends and family, even church. But it can be a little, sometimes lonely. But for the singles, you have, to, you have to understand that you also have the advantage of being free and can use your own time and money more freely than those who get married. So there are advantages and challenges when you choose to remain single. But from verse 10 and 11, Paul is actually talking about, talking to the married people. To the married, I give this command. And this command is serious. It is not I, Paul, but Christ our Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. So he is restating the biblical truth of the permanence of marriage and the fidelity of marriage. It's not just marriage, but also your responsibility towards your whole family, not just spouse, but your children and even your in-laws and your relatives, right? Of course, there are good things about getting married. You know, you have companion, you enjoy family life so much. But Paul actually when he talks to those married people, the only thing he mentioned is you have to be responsible for your family. This reminds us a lot. So whenever a person gives you the good news that I'm getting married, so you should say that you should not separate from your wife. <laughs> Don't congratulate them so soon because you are taking up a great burden. In your life, you are picking up a big responsibility. But of course, 
for married people, you know, you can enjoy companionship, marriage life. So when we backtrack, we understand that when Paul encounters Christ, he understands that uh, Christ gives us freedom, freedom from the imperative of getting married or and freedom from the imperative of staying single. It is there are options in life. But for each option, you understand that there are good things, advantages about what about it, about your option. There are also challenges. And there are duties you need to pick up. For singles, you know, you have the duty of remaining single and serving the Lord in your freedom. But for married people, you have responsibility towards your wife, towards your family. And so for single people, for married people, you don't need to be jealous, right? You just need to understand what your option brings you and to be content. So I guess a lot of times I find there are like very strange phenomena. Nowadays, single people, they all love to get married. They all desire getting married. But when they, before, the day before they get married, they all became very anxious about that, right? Look at the bachelor's party, right? They party and they celebrate. But they also mourn the loss of freedom when they get into marriage, right? I guess the issue is not really one is better or the other. It's really that we have to understand in different stages of life, there are just good things about it. And there are also duties that come with it. And this is the way of the Lord. And if we want to really enjoy whatever stage that we are in, we have to face those duties and challenges head on and rely on our Lord to, to fulfill your duties, right? to actually abide with the Bible. What the Bible tells us is the way of life. Right? Being single, you have your freedom, but you spend your time serving the Lord for that is the most abundant life you can have. When you are married, remain faithful to your spouse, to your family, and that is the, the most abundant life you can have. It doesn't mean that following these commands is easier, right? To remain single, it can be difficult. You will face loneliness from time to time. It is difficult. But the Lord gives us strength, and the Lord also gives us the church, our brothers and sisters, to help us face those challenges, right? And when a person gets married, of course it's very good, you know, getting married. But getting married can be very challenging, you know. Waking up every day facing the same person. <laughs> very difficult. And whenever your spouse asks you, do you love me? You have to answer within three seconds. <laughs> Sometimes it can be difficult. 
But we also have our Lord, right? Our Lord is so forgiving, so gracious. He teaches us to forgive and to forbear all wrong. You know, isn't it so important in marriage that we forgive and we have the strength to love? And you know what? Uh, I just mentioned that being single is is a new kind of teaching from Paul. Um, actually, it is a very subversive kind of way of life, because in human culture, basically all culture celebrate um, marriage and family life, especially in the early church. In the early church environment, the Roman government they really encourage families and people giving birth to a lot of people. Why? Because at the time, the Roman Empire was strong. Why were they strong? Because they had big armies, right? And they proclaimed that salvation comes from the Roman Empire because the strong army gives you stability, peace, the peace of Rome, so you can do business and lead good life, right? And the whole thing is actually built upon a big army that requires a lot of people, right? The early church, many Christians, they stayed unmarried. They were under a lot of pressure to get married and give birth to many children. But by staying married, they bear witness to a different gospel, saying that true salvation is not from the army, not from keeping earthly peace, but from the freedom that Christ gives us. So this is really subversive. I guess for us Christians, we, can also, we should also live very subversive life. Right? Why we stay single? Because we know that we can serve the Lord, especially in this culture, in the Chinese culture. Right? Everybody, all your like uncle and auntie, whenever you see them over Chinese New Year, if you're still if you're single, you you know what I mean. <laughs> Tell them that I'm a Christian. I have my church. I have my brothers and sisters, and I can lead perfectly happy, joyous life by having our Lord Jesus Christ. It can be very subversive. And even for married people have children. We know that children are not for our own future. We don't train our children to like, become wealthy so that we can be we can, we, we can boast about our children or we can like you, you, what, you know what I mean. You can have, we can have good retirement because our children can support us in the future. No, we have children because we want our children to follow Christ and serve Him and bless the world, right? So we can be so subversive in this world through our marriage and through our family. We can bear witness to our Lord. 
So after this one, Paul talks about, well, we can have the option of getting married or staying single. But is it really up to us? I guess getting married or not is such an important decision. We Christians understand that we must look up to God to guide us in this important matter, right? So in verse 17, this is the last verse that I'm going to read together with you. Same chapter, when Paul talks about different status, single, married, and different things. This is more or less a conclusion verse he speaks about. So let's read together. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. In conclusion, Paul is saying that we can have the option of staying married or getting married or staying single. But actually, this is a calling that God gives us. It is a calling. So for us, if we are already married, we should look at our married life, our family role as a father, a mother, a son, a daughter, as a calling from God. What does it mean for by a calling? Is that we have to accept it? There are duties to come with the calling, but there are also gifts from God to help us do all those duties or achieve God's will in that calling. If we are single, we also do that. Sometimes we feel that we are not ready to bear that responsibility that comes with our calling. A calling towards our family, perhaps to old-aged parents, can be difficult. To young children, can be really difficult. I remember when my wife got pregnant with our first child, I was not ready at all. I said, really? I just tried two months. <laughs> You're so quick. I was not ready at all. But it's so gracious that God gives us a pregnancy period of nine months. So after several months, I became more ready. And I was so eager to receive new life in our family. God gives us the, the strength to carry out our duties. But we also understand that by following God's commands, we really have the freedom. But this concept of freedom is different from the world. We know that in this world, people think that getting married, having children, is the end of your freedom, right? Because then you are bound. You cannot take vacation in the, in the next 10 years, right? But on the contrary, we have a different kind of freedom. I have two children. And, but why I have the freedom to come here and worship with you? It's because my wife takes care of my children at home now. Because why I can come out here? Because I also fulfill my role as a husband and a, fa and a father, right? I treat them well. And so that when I go back to my family, I know that I am certain that they will be there waiting for me and I, I can enjoy family life. 
imagine that I don't fulfill my duty. And then I have to worry about them. I have to even take care of them in the absence of my wife or something like that. I'm not free to come out, right? So freedom in Christ is a different thing. It really means that when we fulfill our duty, we can enjoy the freedom of being a father, being a husband. It is a freedom for us to do whatever that is important, that is meaningful in life. So when you want to enjoy freedom in your family, take care of your family members. You know, do housework for husbands, right? <laughs> your wife loves you more. And then you can have freedom to, to lead happy and abundant life in your family. This is the freedom that the Lord gives us. It is not a freedom from duty. A freedom from duties and a freedom from whatever burden you think you are facing. It is actually called sin in the Bible, right? Do whatever you like. It's called sin in the Bible. So God gives us a duty towards our spouse, our family. But at the same time, he tells us that when you are serious about your calling, when you fulfill the duties, you are going to enjoy the biggest freedom you can have. You can enjoy your family life. You can enjoy your single life just because of Christ, our Savior. So to conclude, you know, our Lord Jesus, He saves us. He is our Savior, not just from our personal sin, but He also saves us from the imperatives of this world. And when we follow His footsteps, when we obey His commands, we can be free from the imperatives of the world, and we can, be, we can enjoy life abundant in Him. So let's pray together. Dear Jesus, we thank you very much because you save us. You come and you are the saviour of our lives. Not just away from sin, but away from the imperatives of this world. We thank you that we can have freedom in you. You are our saviour. We know that we cannot rely on things of this world to fulfil our needs. Not marriage, not family, not anything you alone. But we also thank you that you give things abundant to us. For the married, we thank you because you have given us good marriages and family. For the singles, we thank you that you give us yourself, you give us friends and family and church, so we too can live abundant life. May you help us each follow your command, listen to your command, obey your command, so we can enjoy the life that you have called us into. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.